Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. You know, Phil tells me this morning that um, he and Jeff have this competition running. I mean, who's going to play the best? But I guess Jeff's playing the song list, regardless of whose it is. But who has the best song list, Phil or Jeff? Going to the trauma this morning hearing some of those songs. I have drank too many pitchers of beer listening to those songs. Well, you know, it, it's, a men, it's a men's group. It is a men's group. Glad you're here. Guys, I'm glad to be back. Took off last week to go help some friends uh, with a son's rehearsal dinner and glad to be back here. Okay, so this year after COVID, we started back and said we were going to do, I think you have a slide, five guys. Each guy from Men's Roundtable to invite five guys. Marcus is a new guy. Marcus, glad you're here. You know, I'm trying to claim him. I asked David uh, to come a couple of weeks ago, and then David asked Marcus to come. He took the bait quickly. Uh, I can't really claim Marcus. But Phil's challenge again. What do you call it from the little country church? Phil a pew day? Yeah, Phil a pew day. Phil a pew day. Yeah. Some of you grew up in these little country churches, you know, they have a fill a pew day. So we're going to attempt to fill a pew or a table or a chair next week. Just want to make another push. Invite guys that you may know that will be interested in being here, that you think might get something out of this group. We'd love to have them come join us. It is a mission group for local men. Guys, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention Holy Week. You know, we're in the middle of the study of the book of Isaiah and what God rebuilds out of the rubble <laughs> that we make, including myself. Isn't it amazing the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross before we were even born, before we were thought, before our parents were thought? He knew that we would need him. I know I do. I know I do. Christmas is a great time of the year. Thankful that our Savior was born. But if it weren't for Easter and his rising, his birth would have been for naught. With that, let me open some prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you for the work you did on the cross taking on the sins of the world and the sins yet to come. The struggle, the sacrifice, the pain. Lord, I thank you for you rising <clears throat> from the grave, rolling away the stone in front of the tomb. May we open our hearts and ears to you, Lord, mm -hmm. the living King. In your name we pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. Excited to offer you a song uh, this morning uh, that I trust will open your heart um, to what God has for us um, this morning. Um, before I offer you the song, I'd like to just mention two things. Um, 
This past weekend, we enjoyed the best deer camp ever. Uh, an amazing uh, weekend. Once again, so grateful for um, holy ground, sacred ground at Ebenezer Place and um, the privilege to sit in the circle with men uh, who are uh, longing for God and willing to be open and honest about their brokenness. Um, powerful weekend. Other thing is I would just ask you to uh, pray for um, my family. Uh, my dad, um, um, I hope he's on the edge of heaven uh, right now because he had a massive, uh, what massive, I mean, what is a massive heart attack? He had a heart attack, um, is in the hospital. He's 94 years old. Um, he's uh, clinging to life and my, my prayer uh, is that God would usher him home. Um, he's 94 and the recovery that he would be faced with at this point would be uh, just a hard, horrible road. And um, my prayer and God's mercy is that God would welcome him home. So um, I'd like to ask you to pray uh, with my sister is uh, caring for him. And, you know, so a little heavy in the heart this morning uh, for that. And um, hope to get good news about uh, Papaw. Um, guys, I want to offer you this song, um, Give Me Your Eyes by Brandon Heath. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, Paul writes, he says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that we would see with the eyes of our heart. Um, what does that really mean? If, if that prayer were answered today in your heart and in my heart, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I mean, that's quite a, an image, imagery, eyes of your heart would be enlightened. This song tells a story. Uh, the video tells a story. Um, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open as we listen to this. May you hear the voice of God. broken sky traced out by the city lights my world from a mile high best seat in the house tonight touch down in the cold black top hold on for the sudden stop breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos all those people going somewhere why have i never cared Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Step out on a busy street See a girl in our eyes 
strong words from first corinthians 16 13 gentlemen follow with me as we read our introductory uh, paragraph the power of relationship to restore and renovate isaiah 58 12 you'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew rebuild the foundations from out of your past you'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Guys, we're all involved in that process of renovation and restoring. We're all spiritual carpenters in a sense, um, being used by God. Restoration of our soul comes when we begin our relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Restoration of our heart and mind continues because of this secure attached relationship. Gotta be connected to Jesus. Separate, we can do nothing. We're right out of the words from John 15. 
So much Christian teaching tends to focus on right beliefs and right choices as the key to personal growth. But biblical evidence and modern brain science show that our character is shaped more by whom we love than what we believe. The book of Isaiah will help us see how the promise of salvation would come through the Messiah. But in addition to bringing pardon for sin, intimate relationship with Jesus renovates us wholly mind, will, and emotion. This study is about showing how we can train our brains to relate to God based on a joyful mutual connection with Jesus, which will lead to emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. Guys, as I've said to you before, brain research shows that apart from connection, your brain uh, will not um, show joy. That when they do brain scans and they're, and they're scanning the brain and trying to show evidence of joy in a life, joy only uh, occurs in the brain and lights up in these images when there's connection. And when there's not a sense of connection, uh, a, a secure attachment, your brain will not show any joy. Um, you can be happy in a lot of ways, but, but joy uh, is something much deeper. It comes from feeling safe, secure, attached, connected to another. And we believe uh, as Christians that that ultimate connection is to the person of Jesus, that this Christian journey is not about learning how to be uh, moral uh, and a better person. It's really about an intimate encounter with the living God. That's the gospel. So this morning, um, part of this puzzle that we're looking at is seeing what God sees, having the eyes of our heart awakened. Again, let me kind of go through this, this uh, puzzle, and then, and, then, and then we'll work with some questions. This idea of this transformation puzzle that we've been working with um, is number one, um, the big puzzle. This, is, this big puzzle, in a sense, is like a kindergarten puzzle. It just has three pieces, you know, with your kids and your grandkids, those puzzles, they just have three big pieces and they learn how to put that together. And the three big pieces of the transformation puzzle is number one, an intimate walk with God. And so I, I get connected and I begin to walk with God. Enoch, all we know about him is he walked with God and he's included in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 12. What, what if that was your legacy and my legacy and that's all they put on our tombstone and he walked with God? It'd be pretty cool. Number two then, uh, if in this transformation journey is you've gotta be on a team. Uh, you've gotta be part of a community. You've got to be uh, a part of a true church um, that you're being known and others are knowing you. And there's this idea of one anotherness. Uh, Dallas Willard said, in spiritual formation, we're aiming at a character in life 
that is so shaped that the deeds of Christ routinely and easily come from what is inside. I am being changed from the inside out. It, it, it is more uh, true of me in my uh, character that you see the fruit of what's going on um, in me, through me, and with me. And then the third piece of the big puzzle are the skills um, that, that we learn. Um, it's just, okay, so what, what are the tiny pieces? Now all of a sudden, that third piece of the big puzzle becomes 19 tiny pieces. So now we take that big piece and break it into 19 pieces, and we've been working our way through those 19 smaller pieces, and today we are at number 12 and number 13 of the 19. Act like myself in the big six feelings. In other words, be the lion, be my real self when I'm experiencing negative emotions, and we'll go through that. In fact, today there's a quiz. You know, like, you know, like when you walk into class, it's like teacher says, put all your books on your, um, um, underneath your desk, there's a quiz. Last week, I taught you the six big feelings, and I have actually offered you a memory technique when I was in graduate school that I used. Um, so I'm going to test you this morning. Those of you who were here last week, those of you who were not here last week, don't worry about it. So Marcus, you're cool, man. <laughs> um, everybody else, you're on the hook. All right. So I want you to write down from memory, the six big emotions. And then I'm going to ask for a show of hands. The one that got it, the ones that got it. All right. Quiz go six big emotions, write them down from memory. Now they're written on your handout. Don't cheat. Boy, I remember that one in school. Don't cheat. You know, can't look on somebody else's paper. <laughs> Wrong. Right. Oh, right. You remember the technique. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The lights on, but nobody's in there. The technique, by the way, was to have six places in your house and you place that which you're trying to remember in the different places in your house. So for me, you know, my six places was the front door, living room, kitchen, master bedroom, bathroom, and garage. So I got six out of six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark remembers the places. They just ain't no, ain't, ain't nothing in there. All right. So the six. All right, let me see how many got this right. All right, the six, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, and hopeless despair. How many got all six? <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Nobody? Oh my goodness, this is a men's group, no doubt. Yeah, you got them now. All right, now guys, these six, 
You got one up, one back there. And hopeless despair. Hopeless despair. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no shame, Scott, back there. Yeah, yeah. He's lying. He's lying. I know. All right. Yeah. Be the lion. So uh, what we're working with in number 12 and number 13, again, number 12 is this be myself, be my true self, even when those negative emotions come. So once again, I'd invite you to write those down and I would start working with those in your journaling, uh, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, and hopeless despair right there. <clears throat> so this morning, pick up your pen, you've already got your pen. And um, let's, let's begin with a little journaling. So first question I would ask you to consider is how does your family interpret your nonverbal behavior. You walk into the house and you say nothing. Now imagine that, you know, you walk into the house and you say nothing. What's the interpretation of your silence going to be? What are you mad about? What are you afraid of? What happened to you today? What's wrong? What's wrong? Not, and of course, you know, the response is nothing. Nothing. I'm fine. I'm fine. What did I do? Yeah, what did I do? Yeah. Are you mad at me? We take it very personal. But, you know, typically, oftentimes when we're not talking like that, it's like, I didn't say anything. Dude, you cannot not communicate. And a lot of times your silence or your nonverbal is far louder than anything that you say. What you have to realize is when you walk into a room, when I walk into a room, we bring a level of energy into the room. Kevin walks into my presence. I, I'm, I'm attuned to Kevin's energy. Every time Kevin's walked into my presence up to this point, I've liked him walking into my presence. <laughs> well, that's what I was hoping. That's what I was hoping. Yeah, uh, I like Kevin's energy. Very positive, very warm. I haven't pissed him off yet. You know, that'll probably happen sometime. Keep walking into my presence. It'll happen. But, but again, being aware of that nonverbal communication, you, you are aware of it with others. You may be more aware of it with others than you are aware of it with yourself, but you carry an energy that's either inviting people toward you or they want to run and get in their truck and drive off. I want to show you a, a video that is powerful, and, and I think it's easily understood it's actually the one I wanted to show last week and I got them mixed up. So I showed you uh, a different one last week. But I want you to watch this because it's easily understood relative to an infant. 
but it doesn't change all of our life. We just have different ways, you know, more mature ways of handling this, but it's the same dynamic all through our life. Watch this. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying oh, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. And she gives a greeting to the baby, the baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this, and then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good is no reparation and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. Mm. Guys, I find that amazing. I know some of you got triggered because you thought you were coming home. That was your wife. It never changes in terms of the dynamic of connecting emotionally. It just looks different. It's more grown up, but, it, but it's, it's no different. Emotion is to relationship as calcium is to bone. What happens to a bone when there's a lack of calcium? They become brittle and break. What happens to relationships when there is emotional deregulation and chaos? the relationships 
break apart. It's an emotional issue. In my counseling office, I deal with this all the time because what's being reported to me is, uh, you know, we have financial problems and it's breaking up our marriage. Uh, we have an addiction problem. It's breaking up our marriage. We have uh, in-laws and outlaws problems breaking up our marriage and the list goes on and on. Mm -mm. The issue is never the issue. The issue is the inability to regulate emotional interaction. Because the financial issues, the addiction issues, all of those issues can be um, uh, walked through if there's not chaotic emotion. So I want to ask you this question. How do you handle the six big emotions? How do you handle them? Pick out just one for just a minute. How do you handle fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, and hopelessness? How do you handle that? Now, that, that, that's a question that we don't have time to go into detail, but I would invite you to write that down in your journal and begin to be honest. Now, here's a, here's a challenge to you. Go home and ask your wife how you handle those. That's an interesting conversation. <laughs> right, Tom? I'd be afraid to do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why would I want to do that? You know, a perfectly good evening, and I'm going to ask that question. That, that could ruin the pasta and the wine. You know, here's the way I would suggest to you: um, fear. Let's let's do positive, negative. Um, everybody knows um, fight, flight, response. Everybody's heard of that. So when we are in fear, some of us fight. Some of us flight. There's two others that I would offer you. Some of us just freeze. You know, it's like the light is on, but ain't nobody home. You just freeze. I didn't say anything. You just shut down. And then the other is fawn, and fawn is just that we merge, we go into compliance. I'll have what she's having. I'll do anything. I'll say, okay, okay. That's what we'll do. That's 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 uh, fine. We just merge. We just are agreeable, but on the inside, we're going no, no. Now, here's the positive way that you handle fear. How about that? Face. What we say is run to the fire. You run to the fire. If you really want to grow. It's not so much about reading more books or even reading your Bible from an informational standpoint. I mean, the Pharisees did that. The Pharisees were the best Bible trivia guys on the planet. I mean, my goodness, they could answer any question. But, but what they didn't know and they didn't have is any kind of emotional connection. 
And it's this idea, if you really want to grow, figure out what you're afraid of and begin to attack your fears. Some of you are afraid to look your wives in the eye. When I get a chaotic couple in my office, one of the first exercises that I do is I put them face to face, kind of knee to knee, and I just have them sit and look into uh, the, the other's eyes. And most chaotic couples can't do that for more uh, than 30 seconds. It's, it, it, they can't do it. There's such bitterness and resentment. They can't, they can't, they cannot, they start talking. They start fidgeting. They're like the child in the high chair. So how do you deal with anger? You know, in a negative way, what we would say is, you know, rage, blame, criticism. That's what anger in a negative, handling anger in a negative way looks like. To handle anger in a positive way, this is what it would look like, is hurt. Every, anger per, every angry person that I've ever met is deeply hurt. Hurt um, is the flip side of anger. And it's the easiest thing to do is to show anger, be mad, I'm mad. How about let's just slow it down. Tell me where you're hurting. Sadness. What do you do with sadness? And oftentimes when we're sad, we don't want to feel sad. I'm a man. I don't do sadness. And so the negative way is to avoid, and then that's when we get into addiction lots of times. We just, we just cover it up. But once again, the antidote for sadness is tears. Guys, one of the biggest lies that we've been told is, quote, big boys don't cry. Wow. No, it's crying your way to healing. And, you know, one of the things that's so cool about our uh, men's coaching weekends, uh, a.k.a. Uh, deer camp, is uh, there's lots of tears in a men's group. Lots of tears. They're always there. But most men don't have an environment that's masculine in order to release those tears. And, it, and it, it's like, dude, unless you cry, you're going to be emotionally constipated for the rest of your life. So disgust. Most of us, when we see disgust, and let's, you know, like one example of disgust would be some kind of abuse, uh, emotional, sexual, physical abuse is just one example. That, that's disgusting. And we just turn away. We, we don't, we're frozen. We don't know what to do. But again, part of what we need to do is to speak. Our voice is needed. We speak into that. No, no. Bring order to that kind of chaos. Shame, the typical way to not handle shame well is to hide. 
That's exactly what's been going on uh, all through history. Adam and Eve, what did they do? Uh, in uh, the last verse of chapter two of Genesis, what does it say? And they were naked and unashamed. It, it's like that verse is kind of out of context. Everything's good. Everything's good. And the chapter is like, and they were naked and unashamed. It's kind of like, why would you say that? Because something's getting ready to happen. It's kind of a preview of coming attractions. That's the trailer for the rest of the movie. And what we do with shame is we hide. And yet, what you've got to do in order to eradicate shame is you have to get into a relational environment where you're experiencing, not reading about it, but experiencing grace and acceptance. There is no way, no way to deal with shame other than a relational context of acceptance. You cannot read your way or pray your way or do your way out of shame. It, it doesn't work that way. It's like you throw that shame out there on the table and somebody says, me too. I'll take it, me too. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, shame begins to be wiped away in a relational healing experience of acceptance. And then finally, this idea of hopeless despair, that's where depression uh, comes in, anxiety, and even isolation. I mean, people who are depressed, full of anxiety and isolated will start to feel that hopeless despair. And again, the answer is to get on a team. When a man is feeling suicidal, he's feeling hopeless, what do we want him to do? We want him to be a part of a team. So guys, this idea of dealing with our emotions well and being our real self, being um, positively um, engaged in dealing with these emotions is so much where the battlefront is, much more so than that which attacks us from the outside. Many times the enemy lives inside of us, right? I'm my, I, I am my own worst enemy and I'm fighting a battle inside of me that's killing me. Um, and, and scripture is very clear about that. It's the old man and the new man. It's the um, new self and the old self. It's, it's the heart of stone and the heart of flesh, the soft heart and the hard heart. That metaphor is used all through scripture. The best metaphor I've ever heard for that Old farmer had two dogs. And the two dogs used to fight all the time. And they asked the old farmer, well, when your two dogs fight, which one wins? And you know what the old farmer said? Whichever one I feed. Whichever one I feed. Is this what you feed relative to this? Or is this what you feed? 
face it. Feel the hurt. Cry your way to healing. Speak truth into it. Get on a team and experience grace and acceptance and make sure that you've got others when you're going through a really hard time. Wow. That's the church. That's Jesus all over that. That's what he said to do. Very clear. See, there's three things that we need to do. And Jeff, show that last slide, uh, the restored pieces of the transformation puzzle. Just quickly going through that. First of all, we need to get congruent with our body language. We need to be self-aware enough to where we know what our nonverbal is talking about. I walk into a room and I uh, want to be congruent. I, I want to be consistent. You know, uh, you walk into my um, space um, and you've just got this downtrodden look and I ask you, so how are you doing? And you say, fine, I'm fine. Mm -mm. No. So being under, uh, aware of our body language. And then number two, this idea of acting like myself, truly being who I am, being my real self in the midst of challenges. Every guy in this room is going through challenges. It's just the way God works because he wants to grow us up. And he puts circumstances and relationships in our lives to grow us, not to frustrate us. And so in those challenges, we, we, we feel those feelings of fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, and hopelessness. What we wanna do is handle them as a lion as our real self to face them and then have the eyes of God really see as God sees ourself and others. I had a couple come into my office um, recently and um, they came in, they did the intake work um, and so, as I typically do, I says, so glad you're here. Welcome. What would you like for me uh, to do to help you? What, what would you like to see happen in our time? And, um, and there's a little bit of silence, and she looks at him. She just looks over. And he, he kind of got the cue. Well, guess I better talk. And he shamefully said, I'm struggling with porn. I have a porn problem. <laughs> and that was it. Uh, I said, so you have a drug problem? And he said, no, I have a porn problem. I said, no, you have a drug problem. You got drug in here today. And yet, I didn't see the problem as the porn. Um, I saw the disconnect emotionally. They weren't on the edge of divorce. They just didn't know what to do with what was going on. We did some work. I won't, I won't go into all that. This is not a case study for the light, latest counseling session. 
but they cried their way through the rest of that session, both of them. And at the end of the session, I, I, um, I just asked him, I said, you know, does it surprise you that you guys have cried through most of this whole session? And by the way, it was a two hour session, not a one hour session. Um, and she said to me, said to us, she said, I've never seen him cry, never. She was surprised. I want you to turn over to Psalm 126. And I, and I forgot to put this on the deal and Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff may able to be able to pull it up here, but Psalm 126. This is a, um, a passage about restoration. It's a passage of being brought back from exile. Of course, the Israelites are the um, case study here. But I want you to look at verse four uh, in Psalm 126. In the midst of restoration, it just says this, and now God, do it again. And in your study Bible, it says restore our fortunes. Restore, bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. Bring rain. Oftentimes, the rain needs to come from our eyes, not from the clouds. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. Now, in your study Bible, that's verse 5, and it reads like this. Those who sow, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Guys, I would suggest to you that until we get brokenhearted about that which we have done and that which has been done to us, we will never heal because we're trying to heal in our heads that which has been done to our hearts. And it's like you got to get in your heart, get out of your head. As somebody said recently at deer camp, the longest journey in life sometimes is the 18, in, 18 inches between your head and your heart. That's a long way. Isn't that cool? But it's this idea of crying your way to healing. And then verse six, I love this. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of joy or, or blessing. In your study Bible, it's, it's basically saying those who are weeping who weep their way to healing will experience songs of joy. What if, use your imagination here with me here for just a minute. What if I said to you, if you don't begin to cry for the pain inside of you, you will never get better. What if I said that to you? Would that be an encouragement or would that scare you to death? I've said that to some of you in this room. I've said that to many men and I've seen you and many men be transformed through a path of tears, path of tears. So final word, then we'll close. All through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 
um, the prophet is saying to these um, people under the reign of four kings um, that it's so critical that you return to God, bow the knee to God. And in Isaiah 31, he just simply says this, verses six and seven, repent, return dear Israel to the one who so cruelly abandoned, you so cruelly abandoned. On the day you return, you'll throw away every last one of you, the no gods your sinful hands made with metal and wood. The message of Isaiah is salvation is available. Salvation's coming. God always makes a way. But you've got to turn away from what you've been doing. And if we're in this emotional battle, this is the battlefront. Turn away from that which keeps us um, in our stuckness and move toward healing. Move toward healing. True an intimate relationship with the living God. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's waiting. He's longing. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He welcomes you. But he's not going to bust the door down. Open the door. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you. Uh, for the beauty of your word, I thank you that you've given us a clear way uh, to live life joyfully in the midst of so much going on inside us and outside of us. Heal our broken heart in such a way that brings honor and glory to your name and healing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Easter weekend. He is risen.